0: The complex task of making a confident diagnosis of interstitial lung disease is a real challenge for clinicians as symptoms often mimic a wide range of medical conditions. Visit the ATS-ILD Education Center for educational tools and resources that are designed to help improve patient outcomes with an accurate and early diagnosis. Our latest resources include the Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis Primer, the Progressive Fibrosis Interstitial Lung Disease Primer, and the Connective Tissue-Related Interstitial Lung Disease Primer. Visit thoracic.org slash go slash ILD Education Center to learn more. That's thoracic.org slash go slash ILD Education Center. This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. I'm Michael Lanspa, thank you for joining us on our Out of the Blue podcast. Today we're going to discuss an article by Dr. Todd Sarge entitled Effect of Esophageal Pressure Guided Positive End Expiratory Pressure on Survival from Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, a Risk Based and Mechanistic Reanalysis of the EPVENT 2 Trial. I'm joined today by the lead author of the study, Dr. Todd Sarge. Dr. Sarge is an assistant professor of anesthesiology and vice chair of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Department of Anesthesia, Critical Care, and Pain Medicine. Welcome and thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here and I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, Well, let's start with a little bit of background here. Your study is a reanalysis of the EPVENT2 trial, which you and your group had published in 2019 in JAMA. Can you tell us a little bit about that study?
1: Yes, EP two was a phase two multi-centered uh, randomized control trial. We are comparing our previously described technique of peep titration to achieve a positive transpulmonary pressure as we measure it with a soft And you know, the big difference in this trial compared to the previous trial that was a single center trial was that we had changed the primary outcome variable instead of using oxygenation, which is more uh, much more simple. We were trying to achieve. A different goal of a composite score of mortality and vent free days at day 28. And the other major difference was that the control group, the control group in the first trial was really a low PEEP strategy that we had taken from the NIH, the previous NIH trials, alveoli and ARMA. And uh, we then in this trial, we were using a higher PEEP strategy from the oscillate trial. So we really were comparing two high PEEP strategies rather than. Uh, comparing a high PEEP strategy to, to something different. Unfortunately, the trial was negative with respect to that primary outcome of our composite score of mortality and event free days.
0: You'd found in that study there was no survival benefit when you titrated PEEP to esophageal pressure compared to that simple high PEEP strategy. Uh, but this new study that we're going to be talking about is your reanalysis that showed that disease severity had an effect modification on the intervention. What was the reason to look at this? What prompted your reanalysis?
1: I would credit the idea and design of this study to my mentors and the senior co-authors, Danny Tommore and Jeremy Beetler. You know, essentially the idea is based on the concept that we know there's limitations in evidence-based medicine. We know that the average effect of an intervention across a very large population doesn't always account for the variability across that population, particularly when it, you talk about disease severity or some other populational differences. So that we basically felt that it would be worth looking at this data in a deeper dive to see if there was uh, patients that could possibly benefit or, or in fact be harmed.
0: Was there any specific finding in EPVENT2 that stimulated this question or was this something that you in your group had kind of thought about while you were doing the study?
1: I think once we had, you know, the trial was negative, we, we obviously wanted to understand it better. And As you look at some of the data, one thing we know is that patients with very high end inspiratory transpulmonary pressures do very poorly. We knew this from the first trial, but we didn't really think about ways to modify that risk. But we, so we basically wanted to keep our, our strategy, our ventilation strategy the same, but we, that was sort of confirmed as well in the, in the second trial. And I think that sort of led us to, to realize that, the, the very sick patients uh, are going are gonna to die in, in many instances. And we're not sure that we, that this particular technique can effectuate that. And so we thought that maybe looking at the data uh, more deeply would, would help us tease out exactly what factors are harmful to patients versus helpful.
0: All right, well, let's talk about that study then. So your reanalysis of the 200 ARDS patients that were randomized to empirical high PEEP versus PEEP guided by esophageal manometry uh, is, is what we're gonna be talking about. How did, let, let's start with how you actually used esophageal pressure to guide keep titration. What did you guys do?
1: So again, this is something we've been doing for quite a while uh, before starting these trials uh, almost you know, 15, 18 years ago. But the essence is that we use the esophageal pressures measured via a standard balloon catheter at the mid-esophageal position to approximate our pleural pressures. And once we can approximate pleural pressure, uh, that allows us to separate the, the primary components of our respiratory system compliance, i.e. chest wall, and lung. And, and using those uh, differential lung compliances, we we determine the appropriate P and ventilation strategy for each patient in the study protocol.
0: So I like the idea of using a soft to serve as a surrogate for pleural pressure. How do you use transmural pressure to give you any sort of insight about atelectrauma trauma or overdistension?
1: The idea here is that with, with static maneuvers, we can measure the transmural pressure in the, in the alveoli, or at least the average across the lung of that transmural pressure. And with the concept being that the transmural pressure is basically going to be the alveolar pressure or airway pressure at a static maneuver minus our esophageal pressure, which is our surrogate for pleural pressure. And by increasing our PEEP such that the end expiratory transmural pressure is higher than zero, or at least zero, we hope to minimize the sort of collapse at end exhalation and then the trauma that would be uh, seen from the, the cyclic recruitment, derecruitment of those atelectatic units.
0: Yeah, that's a very elegant uh, physiologic approach to how to manage a ventilator. I- I'm curious how you and your group how often you measured esophageal pressure or altered the PEEP, either in the study or in practice, including in, in the control group?
1: Yeah, so in the study, we, we measured these pressures on all patients. Specifically in the control group, it was measured for uh, seven days. And in the study group, we measured out beyond into 28 days. The, and, t- and typically, the, we measured once a day and made our adjustments. Having said that, we were allowed, particularly in the study group, to do uh, measurements at different intervals, or more frequently, I should say, if if we felt it was necessary, if the clinician felt it was necessary based on a disconnect or some other issue going on with the ventilator. So, but but the study demanded once a day measurements of the uh, esophageal pressures, both end-expiratory and, and inspiratory. Again, not being utilized, uh, but recorded in the control group and then being acted upon in our for the protocol for our study group. So
0: the main finding on your uh, study was about how multi-organ dysfunction or disease severity affected your your strategy. And you used Apache 2 to assess disease severity and organ dysfunction. But one of the challenges with this is that every single patient, I I would presume, would have lung disease. So how did you address that? Or how did you deal with that in your study?
1: And I mean, to ensure that lung disease was not the only driver of, of mortality or the Apache 2 score... The data set was analyzed by both standard Apache 2 as well as a modified Apache 2 that removed the oxygenation scores. And we also, as you know, used models for SOFA score to ensure consistency among our findings, Uh, each model demonstrating the consistent find that less severity derived benefit from a peep titrated by the esophageal manometer.
0: Well, so you had found an effect here with treatment between 60-day mortality and multi-organ disease or multi-organ dysfunction
1: with this strategy. How how did you assess this and what did you find? Yeah, so we used the Cox proportional hazard models that allowed the simultaneous evaluation of several covariates on the rate of of the event happening, i.e. death. So we used Cox models that entered the Apache 2 the treatment group, and their interaction to test whether the treatment effect on 60-day mortality was dependent on uh, the baseline Apache 2 for each patient. Uh, Again, we use that same model with several scoring systems, including SOFA and the cardiovascular SOFA as well. And also we used BMI to test whether that was also related to treatment effect. Yeah, I really like that
0: aspect of your study that you had done several other analyses, like the SOFA and the SOFA cardiovascular subscore. What did, what did you find with those? Did those also pan out as well?
1: Yeah, well, essentially what we found was the PES-guided PEEP was associated with a 57% decrease in hazard for death among the patients with the lower Apache, you know, basically you know, below that median value. And the opposite was found for the higher uh, Apache 2 scores. As we said, we, we did look at the SOFA to ensure that there was heterogeneity and to ensure that there was a robust model that we were using and it, there wasn't some sort of intrinsic bias. Yeah, Sorry. I like
0: the fact that you had uh, looked at several different methods to assess this or several different models to assess this. One thing that I, I also really liked about your study is that you also looked at end-inspiratory transpulmonary pressures. And so what does that mean? What, tell us a little bit about why we should care about that measurement.
1: Yes, yeah, so as I was saying, one thing we had noted early on was that patients that have extremely high end-inspiratory transpulmonary pressures, the very stiff lungs, do not do very well. And what we also know is that lung over is a risk of ventilation with ARDS patients. So PEEP titration by any method, but particularly open lung strategies such as, such as ours, should be done cautiously. You want to minimize further distention from both you know, adelect trauma, which is our goal to prevent adelect trauma, but also volume trauma on the other end. And that was the reason for both observing and recording our end-inspiratory and expiratory transpulmonary pressures. the express goal in the protocol of trying to limit that end inspiratory transplanting pressure under 20.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really a nice bit of physiology that adds a bit more depth to your paper. I'm curious how your group handled the challenge of variation that can occur when people are doing all sorts of different types of ventilator strategies and how we could try to either keep that consistent or how you accounted for that. What did your group do?
1: Yeah, that's where uh, we utilized our statisticians to basically look at the possibility that the ventilator strategy might contribute to hemodynamic instability. Specifically, they use generalized linear mixed models to do this with logic link functions and random intercepts to evaluate the association of the transpulmonary pressure with the occurrence of vasopressor dependent and shock over time. The, the, the point of all that was to determine whether transpulmonary pressure influenced the odds of shock on successive days. So basically looking at the interaction of transpulmonary pressure over time. So you you found that association between transpulmonary pressure and shock. Why do you speculate that might be? Again, as we know, with higher transpulmonary pressures, we know that there's a risk of overdistension. So what we found was that there was an association with higher mortality as well as a very significant association with greater risk of shock over time. It basically suggests to us that the higher tidal overdistension with increased pressure across uh, transmural pressure across the alveolar membrane at an in inspiration has a negative impact on hemodynamics and shock and we should be very cautious when we see that.
0: Yeah, that's always nice to see data support what we are taught physiologically. One of the things I really liked about your paper is in the discussion you summarized all these factors that can change the probability of an intervention improving chances of survival in ARDS and and for those of you who are listening I can't recommend this enough. I really like this part of the discussion. It's a useful summary of like, I think, five points that really uh, is a good way to think about how to structure uh, an intervention. So how should we interpret your findings in ARDS patients with and without multi-organ dysfunction?
1: Yeah, first I would I would highlight that this is a post analysis. So we have to be careful with over-interpretation and, and recognize that these kinds of analyses are more hypothesis generating. But, you know, basically the data would suggest to us that there's potentially a benefit from PES-guided P for some patients, particularly those without multi organ function. And perhaps there's no benefit or even harm with uh, this strategy for sicker patients or those at risk for shock. And I think that's what future studies would need to focus on based on these, uh, these hypotheses. And we also have to think about the fact that it, it suggested end expiratory transpulmonary pressures outside of that protective range. As we noted in the paper, when you get above two, if you're targeting a, a higher oxygenation with, with even higher end expiratory pressures, that was also associated with higher mortality. And future studies with PES-guided, PEEP should really look at this value and be careful about escalating that end expiratory target very far from zero, uh, basically plus or minus two. And In fact, that, we think that actually could be harmful looking back at this data now.
0: You know, I I can't help but relate your study to all of this literature that's uh, coming out more recently about the importance of driving pressure. And we're seeing this movement in ARDS management about tailoring ventilator therapy instead of kind of a one-size-fits-all approach to try to tailor it to some of these physiologic principles. How do you think we should reconcile your findings with this body of literature about driving pressure or physiologically guided uh, management of ARDS?
1: I think these concepts are actually complementary. And the publication, actually, by one of my colleagues, uh, Elias Bader of Cass, has confirmed that our technique, as employed in the EP Vent 1 and 2 trial, led to improvements in, in driving pressure. Therefore, it's feasible to me that titrating PEEP according to the esophageal manometry technique will assist the clinician in finding that best PEEP to achieve an optimal driving pressure. Basically, observing improvements in driving pressure would confirm or validate. That the peep that we're titrating to by the esophageal pressure technique is is appropriate and valid. Again, you know we know that driving pressure is associated with better outcomes, but you know prospectively we still don't exactly know how to the best way to find it. You know, we, it's all retrospective data mostly. But we think that again, this data, even though it's a post hoc analysis, uh, several of them now, including Elias's study, confirms that this technique does have the ability to. Uh, you know, find that best driving pressure um, and and potentially, therefore, the best peep. Again, despite notwithstanding the fact that our prospective trial was negative.
0: Yeah, I, I really like the fact that this, as well as a lot of the driving pressure literature, all seems to at least conform to a consistent story with how to manage ARDS. So what do you think the next question we should be asking regarding the role of transpulmonary pressure or driving pressure in ARDS? Like, what's the next study that we should be doing?
1: I think that future studies, just like with driving pressure, are going to be trying to find the safest and most generalizable way, I would say, of, of finding that best PEEP and best driving pressure. And We need to identify and confirm the patients who are going to benefit most from aggressive open lung strategies and those who will not and those who may in fact be harmed by it, either due to a risk for shock, risk for RV dysfunction has been postulated and in, in by the group from France. And so we need to find the technique that optimizes all these variables, uh, driving pressure, PEEP to minimize adelaide trauma, but also minimizing that over uh, we that we were observing, or at least we fear we observed in, our, in some of our patients. And, and that I think would be the next steps. And that's going to be very difficult. And it's really been even called the holy grail of, uh, of, of, uh, ARDS research is find that optimal PEEP. It just doesn't seem to be a one size fits all as at least as, as well as tidal volume has been.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing that in so many different fields of critical care as a recognition of all of these diseases that we treat as kind of one big problem, uh, are really several different, uh, phenotypes or for several different syndromes or, perhaps treated differently based off how severe they are. I'm really excited to see what you've done here. And I think this is really useful for people who are gonna be designing future trials to recognize the effect of disease severity for driving pressure and getting a targeted management for ARDS. I think this concludes our Out of the Blue podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Todd Sarge, for a phenomenal discussion of both his study as well as a great discussion of pulmonary physiology and ventilator management. Uh, Thank you, Todd. Thank
1: you, Mike. This is great. And I really appreciate you having me.
0: This is Michael Anspo for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine.